Welcome to the Idea Week podcast, where investors and entrepreneurs share their wisdom and insights into investing, business, and life. The Idea Week podcast is brought to you by MOI Global, the membership community of intelligent investors. Members of MOI Global enjoy special access to Idea Week, the annual winter summit that brings together investors and entrepreneurs in one-of-a-kind St. Moritz, Switzerland. And now, here is your host, John Mihaljevic. It's a great pleasure to welcome to the conversation Jeremy Deal, founder and head of JDP Capital Management. Uh, founded in San Diego, California, Jeremy has uh, expanded and is now uh, global, if I can say so, Jeremy. And uh, yeah. we've, we've uh, really had the pleasure of uh, learning from you on uh, several occasions and uh, hearing your ideas as well. Uh, today, we're going to take a, a slightly different uh, approach and actually uh, talk about a specific topic that uh, you've picked out as, uh, as interesting, and I, uh, I'm looking forward to your insights there. Uh, it is how to spot risky dividend stocks, a focus on fundamentals. Uh, so with that, I'll uh, just let you run with it, and I'll uh, jump in uh, uh, at some point uh, as well. So please go ahead. Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, great to great to be here. Thanks for having me again and uh, on again. And um, yeah, so just um, a little bit of, I guess, a background um, on the topic. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a counterintuitive topic um, on risky dividend stocks, um, but it's something that I think a lot of times gets overlooked. Um, and the history of, of the topic was, or is that, um, uh, you know, so we get asked um, all the time by people in our ecosystem, whether it's investors or potential investors or just people we meet um, about yield and about dividends, um, about dividend stocks. Um, and, you know, there really is no one answer, but it's definitely a topic that's that's come up um, over time, and it's come up more and more often uh, recently. And we and we think that, at least I, I believe that, a lot of it has to do with just a fear of, um, or you know, a fear that people have um, that companies are able to earn an, an adequate return on their capital, or a fear of growth, or a fear of valuations, or whatever. So there's been. Um, over the last several years, especially, a real push towards yield, 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 yield. Um, and it's not just necessarily because we're in a low yield environment. Um, and, you know, kind of think, think that, you know, there's been this, this, as this push towards kind of higher dividend oriented investments, not just stocks, but maybe real estate, maybe uh, private investments or any, anything that people can get a yield from. Um, it kind of spawned Seth and I to think about um, maybe analyzing this world. Um, and it's not really a world that we tend to look at too much um, in our investment business, but we were interested in maybe analyzing the world and um, kind of understanding and investigating the performance of, of some of these maybe higher yield oriented or dividend focused stocks in the public market, because that's what, what we know. So, um, it evolved into an interesting research project. Um, 
where we wanted to understand the characteristics of, of kind of yield focused companies and, and how they've evolved over the years, um, not only with through, through a low interest rate yield, but uh, you know, how they've changed, how the management incentives have evolved um, and how, how they've really kind of become the typical dividend stock has really become riskier and riskier over the years and why. And uh, what we found was interesting enough that I thought it was worthy of a podcast. So um, a little bit of background. Terrific. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's go right into yeah. it. So, yeah. So uh, I guess, you know, um, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, depending on who's listening, this is some of the stuff is very entry level. Uh, but I think it's worth going over and mentioning uh, what kind of yield looks like in the U.S. market today. I mean, there's a very wide spectrum of, of yield, so to speak. Um, when you're buying yield, you're not just buying, you're not just necessarily buying an earnings stream that's getting kicked out. Um, and yielding thing, things that yield something do not necessarily correlate perfectly with with uh, you know the ten-year Treasury note or interest rates or in a particular country. Um, and things don't necessarily move in tandem, and they're not things are not necessarily a proxy for each other. Two different types of yielding things can be very, very different, and their risk, um, you know, their, their their risk can vary widely as well. So, you know, I don't know. You've got what, the ten-year Treasury around two point four percent today. Uh, the S and P earnings yield, which is a very different type of yield, at maybe five and a half, six percent, depending on how you slice it. Um, the you know, junk U.S. junk bond index around six percent, and and then maybe on the higher end of that, the Alarian MLP index of a little over seven percent today. But markets, though, I think tend to, and a lot of dividend investors tend to focus more on a payout predictability and the volatility of that payout than the fundamentals. So the fundamentals get ignored, and. Um, as we know, as investors, you know you can take the, a perfect asset and have make it turn it into a very risky asset if you overpay for it. So let's dive kind of right into the study. Um, what we did to get a picture of, of of how things evolved is we started five years ago, so 2012. We took a screen of every dividend-oriented stock in the U.S. market over 100 million market cap. So what that means is you know go back five years anything over 100 million market cap with a dividend of at least four percent or greater now the reason we chose four percent was because that kind of represents a company that's being supported by yield this is also a very low interest rate environment at the time as it is today and um you know it was just i think a, a decent place to start and we wanted to go back in time and say well if we were scared and we wanted to to just focus on yield, which 4% was definitely significantly greater than the 10-year, which was lower than 2.4% at the time, uh, what would have happened? And uh, the idea was to compare the total return of those of those of those you know the total return of those stocks, uh, regardless of their industry, just yield focused. Uh, so the return is the price plus the dividend payout compared to the S&P over you know from from then till today. Um, and we had a sense, I think, that most would underperform, but the bigger question was, um, how does a seemingly low-risk dividend stock um, that is 
bought based on potential, you know, presumed uh, predictability of a dividend payout. How does that stock um, become high risk and how does it become a source, more importantly, a source of grave loss, not only relative to the S&P, but in, in, in total? So um, one, of the, uh, one of the first things we noticed was uh, um, that the declines um, are all are typically blamed, I think, on. So, so when a dividend stock underperforms or goes down massively, a lot of the first reaction is it's, it's a sector or a macro headwind or, or that, you know, the sector declined, you know, oil and gas, for example, uh, and that's the source of the reason it blew up. It wasn't necessarily because of the dividend. We found that that, that was one of the probably the most common misunderstanding. Uh, and we found the declines, the declines that we saw were across the board. So generally speaking, though, the assets of the companies that underperformed the most um, had very high quality assets that really didn't move that much, that the fundamental assets really didn't change throughout this five years. So the biggest problems we saw, though, were not the underlying assets, but that the management of those companies and the culture of those companies had committed to what, what, we're, what we call like uh, serving the, the we, we're terming it the serving the dividend masters. Um, so we found kind of three dividend masters or three reasons that that. Uh, oftentimes lead to, uh, you know, starting with a low risk, uh, high quality asset being turned into a very high risk business um, based on kind of the culture of management's um, um, willingness to, to just focus on yield. So of the three masters, um, they're all not created equally, but when added up, they can be a complete disaster. So master number one is just the the idea of the inflexibility or the complete commitment to a dividend. So that's an inflexibility towards doing anything else with the capital that's generated by the business, but pay it out. So no dividends, I mean, I'm sorry, no buybacks, uh, very little reinvestment in the business, but just a focus on paying out all the earnings. Now that in and of itself is not bad, but it limits your flexibility. It limits the possibilities of the business. But um, it's it's a management commitment to this is what we are, and you typically see this with mature businesses. So you know, and and, and I think where the, you know serving that master becomes a problem is when you have a smaller, higher growth company and you've committed to paying out more than you really should and not reinvesting in it. But then again, just paying out all your earnings isn't necessarily a source of of real pain or potential long term loss. Um, but so the second master, the second master um, that we found was the, the manufactured yield master. <laughs> so uh, not only would you be in master one committed to a dividend at all costs, but you'd be manufacturing that dividend if you're serving the second master. And that means you're completely dependent on the capital markets and to grow your business and maybe even re replenish or maintain your, your business. So um, this phenomenon kind of picked up, I think, in the mid 2000s um, and perpetuated by bull markets where, you know, people kind of believe they could have it all. They could have a high dividend payout and they could have growth. So you end up with in, in our manufactured yield scenario, um, a company that's highly vulnerable to funding gaps uh, and substantial dilution. Um, and so that means that every time you need money to do anything, you have to sell stock. 
and you have to continuously tap the debt markets and or tap the debt markets. Um, and so you, you're, you're taking all your profit, you're paying it out, you're potentially leveraging up. And as you grow, you're selling stock to, to do that um, and, and using kind of the carrot of look at how, how high our dividend is by our stock. And then we use that to grow. So, you know, the, the risk of that is, it seems very obvious, but um, I think to most people that in the, in the past that have maybe had just focused on people that are only focused on the volatility of a, of a dividend payout, they may overlook this type of fundamental. Um, it creates asset liability mismatches. Um, it, it exposes companies to very short-term capital markets, regardless of the underlying asset quality. And... Um, so the third master, which is probably the, the nail in the coffin, um, is a commitment to a very capital intensive business. So, you know, the first master, again, to recap, is a commitment to yield, a, you know, a commitment to paying out your dividend, a commit, commitment to paying out your earnings um, over everything else. Second is we're going to manufacture the yield by artificially paying out more than we really can afford to pay. And the third is doing that in a very capital intensive industry or with a very capital intensive business like an infrastructure business. Um, so um, it seems, again, very uh, it seems kind of crazy uh, to think that, that that is something somebody would do. But um you know, a lot of the MLP structures not are not just oil and gas, but a wide variety of infrastructure-like businesses that are very capital intensive. Um, you know, they're they're great businesses, but they they're low return, very predictable, but they require large amounts of reinvestment in cap of, of capital to, to to maintain and grow. So I think when you have all three of those masters that you're trying to serve, um, it becomes very very difficult. So. I guess just as a final piece, let me just walk you through the results of the study, uh, what we found. So drum roll, uh, <laughs> we found, so going back again, five years ago, we found if you did a screen for US stocks, uh, cap IQ, real basic, anything with a 4% or greater, there were 359 stocks over 100 million market cap across all industries. And how they performed over the next five years is the following. So 25% of them actually maintained S&P total return or outperformed. So 25% outperformed more or less. Um, but all of those, those 25%, all of them were serving just the first master. So these were companies, traditional, a lot of them were traditional C-Corp companies that were probably mature or more or less mature and just committed to paying out most of their earnings in a dividend. Again, not bad, um, but uh, they, the, the, you had at least a, a fighting chance to outperform, you know, a 25% chance. Um, and, and interestingly enough, the fact that only 25% outperformed um, in, in a very, very low interest rate environment is is probably the most astounding to me because these were more or less investable, all investable grade companies, and we had extremely low interest rates. Um, and they're still low today, but at that time there was much more fear in the system than there I think even is today. And uh, only 25% outperformed. So the second bucket, um, um, we found that only so. So serving, serving that first master, 25% outperformed. 
The second bucket serving master one and two. So not only are you committed to a dividend payout, but you're manufacturing yield. So a lot of these were the LPGP structures, the yield codes, wide variety of industries from, um, I don't know, oil and gas, of course, but, but, you know, prisons, all kinds of things, REITs. I mean, anything with like that LPGP typical structure where we're in business just to pay out our earnings and we still want to try to grow. So of that, through serving master one and two, only 5% outperformed the S&P. So 19 of the 359 companies. And then lastly, um, the companies that were trying to serve all three masters, um, so it would be master one and two plus, you know, an infrastructure being in a very capital intensive, generally infrastructure business, only 1% outperformed. So we found five companies that outperformed. And this was, again, across a wide variety of sectors, not just um, sector specific. And, um, you know, infrastructure businesses with very predictable um, uh, assets underneath, which I think were used and bastardized and sold by investment bankers to read, you know, brokers and, and bankers to retail people that were probably just focused on the yield. Um, and as kind of a final takeaway, um, we found that, you know, so two thirds of of the kind of the total yield co universe underperformed. Um, and I think that's, um, you know, two thirds that and, and those two thirds, all of them were serving all three masters. So I think that, um, you know, this, this perception of low volatility being more important than the underlying fundamentals of the business is, is potentially what drove uh, this evolution um, of creation of these of these different of these different products. Um, and it just goes to show how inefficient, um, you know, the, how inefficient some of this stuff can be. I mean, you can't you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Um, <clears throat> And there's um, just because something has a, a, a big dividend yield does not mean that it's safe. And actually, in most cases, according to what we've seen in our research, in most cases, it actually presents a much riskier situation um, than than what it appears. Fascinating. Uh, definitely uh, very, very interesting Um the results seem so uh, so uh, conclusive, I'll say, and, and so overwhelming that it's it it seems like not just a great way to avoid disaster, but maybe even something that uh, people who sell short would be interested in as well. Well, and and that is true. Um, we're we're not a short seller necessarily. We you know it's not something we've done, um, but we have actually used this screen to find some broken examples of things that we like, and um, we actually found through through this exercise, we found a company, a distressed asset that we ended up um, investing in, um, and um, it's uh, it's an infrastructure business um, called TK Offshore. Um, that was that was very guilty of all three masters. Um, so highly highly long term contracts, offshore oil and gas infrastructure, uh, very very predictable, very high quality, lot big moat um, that had just been taken advantage of by management for a long time. Um, you know, big IDR bonus payouts. Um, you know, very very guilty of all three. Stock down ninety three ninety four percent from from peak to trough. 
um, and it was recapitalized by Brookfield Asset Management. And um, you know the the debt was taken away. the The old ways were were changed, and now you're left with this completely recapitalized, very high quality infrastructure business. And we were able to buy it at the same, well, actually slightly less than than Brookfield and and uh, Ontario Teachers. Their co investor was was or, you know was paying for it. So. Um, you know, th- th- it potentially for the distressed investor like us, uh, it could this this types of screens or this type of of thinking can be a source of idea flow. Um, you know, and just you know, and today as an example with Tiki Offshore, we think we've got a you know twenty percent free cash flow yield um, in the company today, and, and we've got a world class partner, and we have you know it's been recapitalized. We think the risk has been taken away, so. It, it is also a source for deal flow, uh, but I think you can't just bottom fish. You can't just say it's been, you know, something is down 93% um, and it'll go back. It's not a mean reversion trade. It is very much a, you know, you, you have to make sure that those uh, former masters that were being served are no longer being served because. Uh, maybe one of them gets fixed or they get a capital injection from somebody, but if you can't ensure that it won't happen again, um, then there's really no point in, in it reinvesting and hoping that, you know, um, you're just playing hot potato for the next cycle. I mean, that's, that's not an intelligent way of investing. So, um, again, an interesting source of idea flow, but you need to really understand what has changed and why this time is different. Very interesting. Well, we'll leave it there, Jeremy. Uh, thank you so much for yeah. uh, sharing uh, this study that you did and the results uh, with us. And I, I look forward to delving a little bit deeper uh, when we see each other uh, at Idea Week, hopefully uh, yes. not too looking far to distance. It. Terrific. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, if anybody's interested in more details around the study, um, they can email me, Jeremy at jdpcap.com. Um, and I'm happy to, to send them the results um, or share more information offline with any of your listeners. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Take care for now. Okay. Thank you, John. See you soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Idea Week podcast, brought to you exclusively by MOI Global the membership community of intelligent investors. Learn more at moiglobal.com.